0: And uh, we look forward to that. Uh, A few weeks back, our daughter moved out to a little Christian camp on the shores of Lake Erie to serve as a counselor. And uh, Gracie, it was her first time doing this, and she was one of the only first-time counselors joining the team. In fact, many of the other staff members at this camp had served uh, in previous years. And so as she was moving her stuff in and she's watching all the other counselors and staff members come in. There's all these hugs and high fives. It was like this, this sweet reunion of people that hadn't seen each other, you know, over the last year, and now we're back together to, to serve Jesus together, to serve kids, to serve campers. And Gracie, honestly, she was feeling like, a little bit like, you know, where, where's my place? You know, everybody seems to know each other already. You ever been in one of those situations, and so you feel a little bit uncomfortable, and is anybody going to notice me? And am I going to make any friends? Well, they had finished a, a couple weeks of training for camp. And we get a call from Gracie. And she said, Hey, hey, mom and dad, is there any way uh, before we, you know, tomorrow we, we start camp with official campers? And we're just trying to figure out something to do with all the resident counselors. And we wondered, could, could we come over to our house? And we said of course and and so like I don't know 16 18 resident counselors from this camp made their way over and you know we made some food and and they they hung out in the backyard and they played games and and it was amazing to watch what happened as as people were invited into our home how how then they were able to better connect with Gracie and Gracie with them and not just for her it, It was this powerful connection, this gelling of their team just before they were getting ready to go off into a heavy week of of serving Christ and and serving kids. There's something that happens when you invite somebody into your home, isn't there? They see another part of who you are, what's what's important to you, uh, what's meaningful, It's like stepping not just into somebody's home, but into their life, and and you're able to better understand and even connect with them. And what we find in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 is just such an invitation, but it's an invitation from God himself to step into the very throne room of God. God. I want us to turn there, Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We'll put the scriptures on the screen as well, or you can follow along in your Bible or on your smartphone. And John is receiving this revelation from Jesus himself, and John writes, Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. That literally God had opened a door for John and for us to to step through, to get a picture of the home of God himself. And it says, The same voice that I heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast, and the voice said, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. Jesus was inviting John to recapture a vision of Jesus himself and to show him some of what was yet to occur. And what strikes me about this, this open door into heaven is the context in which we find it. Last weekend, if you were here and you joined us, we looked at Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We looked at Jesus' messages to the seven churches, his message of uh, commendation, really, encouraging the churches for what they were doing right. And also his message of challenge for what they were doing wrong and and how to get back on track. It was a sobering message that Jesus gave to them and really that applies to us today. And at the end of chapter 3, there's another invitation and then there's another door. Only this one is the door of our lives. Look at what what it says in Revelation 3.20. Jesus said, look, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in, Jesus will come in, and share a meal together with us as friends. It's like at the end of Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is saying, I'm looking for you to open the door to your life for me so that I can come in. And in Revelation chapter 4 and as we step into chapter 5, Jesus is opening a door and saying, now I want you to come in and I want you to see my place. I want to welcome you into my world and to see me for who I really am. Well, John, it says, he was instantly in the spirit. And the first thing that he says he saw was a throne. He said, a throne in heaven and someone that was sitting upon it. And the one that was sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne Like a rainbow. This is the very throne of God Himself. A throne that is above all other thrones. And it's important for us to realize that God was up there. He's letting letting John peer into God's living room. And what he finds, it's not a lazy boy, okay, where God is just kind of lounging around. I wonder what they're doing down there. Hope everything's all working out. No, what we discover is a throne where God is ruling and reigning. A throne represents power and authority and kingship and rulership and even judgment. And we're going to see the judgments of God coming as we walk into the next future chapters of the book of Revelation. But even in the midst of this coming judgment, there's also mercy. In fact, there's a hint of it in this very description. We'll look back at the scripture. Look at uh, the last part of verse 3. It says, And there was a glow of an emerald that circled his throne like a rainbow. John's thinking back to the very beginnings of time and the development of humanity. And the Bible says that, Every person over all the globe was just filled with wickedness, and God's heart was grieved. And God made a decision to flood the earth, and He could have completely wiped out humanity. And yet, He showed mercy. He showed mercy to one man named Noah, who was found righteous in His eyes, and to Noah's family, and He rescues them from the flood. And when you read on in the story, we find that the first rainbow was created and it was created to be a reminder to humanity that God is merciful, that he will not give up on his creation. So in the midst of judgment, there's still mercy available. Well, John steps into heaven and he sees this picture, this throne, and then he notices 24 other thrones. Verse 4 says, 24 thrones surrounded him, and 24 elders sat on them. They were clothed in white, and they had gold crowns on their heads. That's going to become significant in just a few more minutes. We'll see. This just shows, again, the humility of God. That in In the very throne room of God himself are these other thrones where God has decided to share authority. To have others that will rule and reign. And he, he describes them as these 24 elders. Jim Sammer says the 24 elders probably represent the 12 tribes of Israel from the Old Testament and the 12 apostles of the New Testament. In other words, the full range of God's redemptive work. And there they are seated around the throne. It says, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles of thunder. We're going to sing those lyrics in just a few minutes together. Symbols of of power and strength and might coming from the very throne of God Himself. And it says, And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames that represented the sevenfold or the, the wholeness of the Spirit of God. And it says, In front of the throne... Was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. Just capture this image of this throne with a like a rainbow surrounding it of light, and it says a sea of glass. Now most times in the scriptures when the Bible refers to a sea it's it, it's usually referring to chaos and and rage and anger. Have you ever been uh out by the lake? When it's a horrible storm, maybe you took a drive just to see. I I love watching the lightning and and hearing the thunder. Uh, But you ever been by the lake when when these massive waves are just crashing in, and it's it's awe-inspiring. It's power, right? But there's also something, isn't there, about walking along the lakeside or sitting on a park bench on a weeknight, when it's just a sea, a lake of glass, the, the, the peacefulness, the tranquility. And this is the this is the picture that John lets us into at the very throne room of God. And while there's power and thunder and there's lightning, and yet there's there's peace and calmness and tranquility verses 6 and 8, he goes on in his description and he says, in in the center and around the throne were four living beings. Each were covered with eyes front and back. The first of these uh, living beings was like a lion and the second was like an ox and the third had a human face and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. He says, each of these living beings had six wings and they, they were covered all over with eyes inside and out. This This crazy picture, isn't it? And while we can spend a lot of time, and trust me, the commentators and theologians have spent a lot of time trying to figure out exactly what these living creatures were or what they represented. But remember, when we first launched into this series, we said that John is writing as a pastor to provide comfort and hope. He's writing as a theologian to expand our minds and understanding of who God is. And he was also writing as a poet. And I think this is one of those poetic moments. Maybe the point is not to figure out what every face or creature represents. Maybe it's just to be awe-inspired that all creatures of our God and King fall down and worship and bow before Jesus himself. Well, he goes on. And in chapter five, before we look at the response, in chapter five, there's one more thing that John sees as he steps into that through that open door, to see the throne room of God himself. And he says, I saw a scroll. He has seen a, he's seen an open door. He's seen a throne. And now it says he sees a scroll. A scroll in the right hand of the one that was sitting on the throne. God the Father is holding a scroll, a piece of parchment. And it says there was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. So the question is, what's written down in there? What's it say? Jim Samra, who, who is a pastor that we follow, he says the seal probably represented the fulfillment of prophecy, both from Daniel 20, uh, Isaiah 29, 11 and Daniel 12. And that these seven seals that are on this scroll represent the seven seals that we're going to read more about in weeks to come, beginning in Revelation chapter 6. In essence, the the scroll was containing the fulfillment of prophecy and what was yet to happen. And, And John is just, I'm sure, in such anticipation, waiting like, what's it going to say? What does the future hold? Is anybody going to fix all of this? What's next? And John is gaining this vision. And in verse 2, it says, and I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy? It's the song that we just sang. Who's worthy, he says, to break the seals on the scroll and to open it? Verse 3, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. And it says, John began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy. There's a, there's a problem in heaven. There's all this anticipation of who God is, of all that he has done, and all that he is yet to do. Remember, John is writing as a pastor to to churches that are hurting and suffering, and they're wondering, is anybody going to fix all of this? Is this going to go on like this forever, the pain and the sorrow, the dysfunction of all creation? And John's looking, and he says, there's this scroll, and it holds the future, and it holds the fulfillment of our future, but there's nobody worthy of. To unlock it, to open it up. It's the words that we just sing, saying, is, is, creation, is all creation groaning? It is. Is there is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Yes, it is. And the chorus says: Is anyone worthy then? Is anyone whole, complete, holy? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? This is a question that's being echoed through the ages. Is there anyone that can make things right? And John is weeping. But then it says, but one of the 24 elders said to him, look, stop weeping. Look, the Lion of Judah which was a messianic title from the Old Testament, pointing to a Messiah, a Savior, who was yet to be born. And John, John hears that phrase, the lion. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And immediately he knows it's Jesus. The one that's heir to David's throne. And he says, and he has won the victory. He is worthy he's worthy to open the scroll and it's seven seals and at this moment all heaven is waiting for a response and and john says and i then i saw a lamb he saw the lion of the tribe of judah and one that also looked like a lamb and he says one that looked as if it had been slaughtered because it had been jesus had been slaughtered like a lamb led to the slaughter He went to the cross and he gave his life up willingly. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus was the Lamb of God slain as a sacrifice for your sins and my sins. But notice, John looks at the Lamb and he looks like a lamb that had been slaughtered, but it was now standing. You guys, this is so so significant. The one that looked like it had been slaughtered, that represents his death, his crucifixion, his burial. But it says now he was standing victorious, conquering death and hell and the grave and worthy because he had overcome. He says he's standing between the throne of the four living beings and amongst the four, the, four uh, the 24 elders. And then John again paints this poetic picture to help us G- see Jesus in a new powerful light. And he says, and he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that had been sent into every part of the earth. And it says, and Jesus stepped forward and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And I imagine in this moment, all heaven is just ready. What's he going to do? He's taken the scroll. He's about to open it. And they are absolutely overcome. And what is their response? To worship. Chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation is such a powerful picture of the heart of what real worship is. Eugene Peterson in his commentary on the book of Revelation says, worship is an act of attention to the living God who rules, speaks, reveals, creates, redeems, orders, and blesses. Listen, worship is always a response to who God is. And how do they respond? First, they fall down. Revelation 5.8 says, And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders, they just they fell down before the Lamb. Each one, it says, had a harp and they had gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people, and they just fall down in worship. Same thing happens in chapter 4. It says, Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one that was sitting on the throne, that is the one that lives forever and ever says the 24 elders, they fall down and they worship. A posture of humility which says that our worship should affect all of who we are. Our our soul, our spirit, our minds, and even our bodies at times. It's why it's okay to, to, to bow down in worship. It's why it's okay to stand and raise our hands in worship. It's why it's okay to to close our eyes and focus in in worship, or to raise our gaze to heaven in worship, that worship should move us; that it should affect all of who we are, and that's what's happened in this moment. They come before Jesus and they see Him for who He is—the worthy One—and they just they they fall down, and they don't just fall down, but they they start to sing. They sing songs says, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and break the seals and open it. Like this, this, this new song, perhaps never sung before, just erupts in heaven out of everybody's hearts in response to who Jesus is, the worthy one. They say, you were slaughtered, and by your blood, you've ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation. It's such a salvific song pointing to the full work of Jesus and that he's in the process of redeeming people from everywhere. From Haiti and Guatemala and India and Burundi. People that are brothers and sisters in Jesus because they've responded to the same Jesus that you and I are here to worship today. In Revelation 4, 8, they're singing again, and it says, they, they cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In a moment, we're going to sing that song. We're going to join with the angels and all creation. And this one just just dumbfounds me. Just imagine the scene. John has stepped into this open door, And what does he see? He looks again. It's like John, he just keeps looking around and he sees more and more and he's more and more overwhelmed. And he says, and I heard the voices, you guys, catch this, of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and the voices of the living beings and the elders as well. And they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy Is the Lamb. And in verse 13 to 14, I mean, you just can't stop the eruption of worship. It says, basically, everybody together. It says, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth. So John is up in the throne room of God because God has opened the door and John's hearing voices in heaven the the voices of thousands and millions of angels and the elders that are there seated on the thrones who are who are falling down before him and he he hears voices from heaven coming up our worship the worship of God's people And he hears all these voices and they sang blessing and honor, glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and the lamb forever and ever and ever. They worshipped. Eugene Peterson, in reflecting on the whole of scripture, he says, think about it. Moses sang, Miriam sang. Deborah sings, David sings, Mary sings, angels sing. Even Jesus and the disciples, after they had shared communion, went and sang a song. Paul and Silas, they sing when they're in prison. And when, he says, when persons of faith become aware of who God is and what he does, they sing. The songs are irrepressible. When we get a new picture of who God is, it should put a song in our heart. That we cannot help but let out. That's worship. It's falling down before Him and it's singing songs of praise. And not only that, it's giving. That's what we see happen next. They gave what they had, they fell down, they sang songs, and then they gave. Remember the description that we read about the 24 elders, the ones clothed in white, and it says they had crowns upon their head? It says the 24 elders, they fell down, they worshipped the one that was sitting on the throne. And what did they do? It says, and they laid their crowns before the throne. Probably crowns that they had earned for their faithfulness to Jesus. A crown that allowed them to sit on a throne and rule and have power and have authority. And the very thing that brought them uh, significance and power and authority and value, what did they do with it? They lay it down. Because in that moment they realize, we don't deserve anything. There's only one here that is truly worthy. Worthy. And anything that I have, anything that I've earned, anything that I've got, it belongs to Him. He's worthy. Daniel Aiken says, We gladly return to worship what our God has given us, for we readily acknowledge that all we have was first given to us by Him. Today, we step into the open door that Jesus opened up for John. And John wrote about it to bring hope and encouragement to the churches, including us. And the way that we find hope and encouragement is to see Jesus again. Because that's what the book of Revelation is all about. It's all about Jesus And it should cause us to fall down or to raise our hands or to bend our knees or to close our eyes or to stretch our gaze. And it should cause us to sing, to join the thousands and millions of angels that right now are worshiping our King in heaven. And it should cause us to surrender, to to lay down our crowns, Because there's nobody more worthy than Jesus. Let's stand. Let's sing to him.